0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Then he says they have no God to supply their physical or their spiritual needs. Remember, they're lost their present or even eternal needs. So anything they get, they must get for themselves. So that's why inside their their chest beats a heart that is horribly selfish. And I certainly don't want to mimic the world's view. And I know that we all have a propensity for that because we do have a deceitful heart. But as long as I have yielded that deceitful heart to a very non-deceitful God, And my heart now begins to be controlled, and I enjoy what we're going to hear about in just a moment as a result of being financially free, what God gives to us. The end of the quote says this, They are ignorant of God's supply and have no claim on it. And so now, instead of me sitting out here and I look at this and I say,
0: Boo! Boo! Boo!
1: Secular worldview. I I have that. There's a condemnation of that. He says that. Those that follow that, they're going to reap the result of the the fruit of that level of uh, sowing that they'll do with it. But listen very carefully. My job is not to condemn the world like Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. My job is to come alongside them, realize that that secular worldview is not biblical and is very dangerous, but I need to come alongside them and help them to know God. And so, yes, I might give them some biblical principles about money. Yeah, I get that. But they'll never fully understand this until they've accepted jesus christ as their personal savior by placing their faith alone in christ but everything still comes back to us with all this money stuff when we come to the loss we can give them some practical principles of money management that's all good the word word of god is good it'll work but at the same time we have to realize that we may be throwing sand against the wind if they have not accepted christ as our savior And our whole purpose is to love them, not to drive them away because they have that view. Doesn't mean we have to embrace it. We don't have to look like a duck and talk like a duck to reach a duck. Take that to the bank. All right, let's go on. I want to give you three benefits now that we will have if we have chosen to be financially free. Now, as I give you these, let me pause for a moment and explain where I'm going with this. You'll hear a lot of seminars. Some of them are even, I'm going to call them biblical or Christian, but watch out because they will talk about... Becoming financially free. They'll talk about get out of debt, get out of debt, get out of debt. And that's, I think, the first step in a walk with God. The first step in the financial part of walking with God is the get out of debt. But I don't believe that that that's a walk with God. That's just the first step. My first step is i got to do what I need to do to get out of debt. But my second step now begins the walk, here it is, to stay out of debt. Did you catch that? Because a lot of times, there are Christians that finally get so broken, they go to these seminars and they say, I'm going to get out of debt. They do everything they can to get out of debt. And a year later, they have slid back into debt again. It's like God wants us to uh, be peacemakers, right? But I also believe He wants us to be a peacekeeper too. So once you make it, you need to keep it. So the walk is a series of things to do to stay within God's perfect plan for our life, which is biblical. So now, when I give this, this is, how do you become financially free? But I'd like to also say the benefit of it, is if you stay financially free these are three they're very simple right now there's probably a thousand different things that you get when you're financially free but if i could reduce it to these three these three ought to be enough to motivate us to want to be financially free and stay financially free all right number one we will have peace mostly inner but also outer peace those of you that have been in a time when you have really been under the gun financially especially those that are the head of households, the ones that really carry the weight of the responsibility of taking care of the family. When you know that you just don't have enough money and and you don't have a job or you're struggling with all of this, you wake up at night. I mean, you go to sleep because you're so depressed and and you finally get to sleep. But then a few hours later, once you get that buzz off, you're awake again. And then your mind is like, what are we going to do? And how can I do this? And you're plotting and planning and praying, trying to get it all together. You know what it's like when you don't have peace. There are some of you now that are facing retirement and you know that you you probably cannot continue working when you're 80 like you are. You know you're probably going to have to back off at 70 or so and yet you're wondering, can I really make it? Especially when I'm carrying this boatload of debt over here. And um, again, uh, I would like to say just grieve it and leave it. Learn it, apply this stuff, move forward and trust God and watch God do some magnanimous things in your life. But you can have that inner peace. But then I also believe there's an element of outer peace as well. Because if we don't have the inner peace, it seems like then um, our thought patterns are off. Our thought patterns are off. That means our conversation is off. If our thought patterns and conversations are out, because what's in our heart will come out of all of that junk, I'm sure that we're saying and doing things that will negatively affect others. And when that happens, then we don't have outer peace in our relationships. Did you all catch that? Did I speak too slowly for you on that? And so again, it goes into our inner heart. If we really have peace with God, there's a subtleness, there's a contentment. And now when we have that, then we don't don't get into these tit-for-tat kind of conversations with others, and we get worried, and we say the wrong things, and we have the wrong tone, timing, technique in our conversations, we don't have destroyed relationships. And then you don't have, ultimately, you ready for this? Bill collector's calling. That ought to ruin your day. All right, let's go to number two. The ability to... No, we can provide properly for our family now, and I added, in the future. When we are financially free and we stay financially free, we know that we can provide properly for our family now and in the future. Now, we're not unpacking what it means to properly, because some of you think properly is you have to buy your kid a car, okay? Or your kid thinks you've got to buy him a car, <laughs> more likely. But there's a properness of taking care of them. And I keep using the term basic needs of life. And probably I should explain that. I, when I go back to Matthew chapter 6, it talks about, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's actually set more in the context of, don't worry, have no worries, God takes care of the birds, all of that stuff, and I get it. But they didn't have to worry, they didn't have to toil and spin, as long as we have basically food and raiment. The word is covering. And so I believe that our basic needs of life is that we have food that will sustain our bodies internally when we eat, and clothing to keep us um, modest and warm when we need to be, appropriate. And I might extend this, Now I don't think the Greek does, but I think in a certain way the Lord uh, might permit me to say this. I think if we use the, the dynamic of covering, we could also say a place to sleep. A home, a roof over your head, a covering. So you've got the food on the inside, you've got the clothing on the outside, and perhaps something over your head of some kind of roof. And that would be your basic need of life. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have one of those beautiful mansions that I call a popcorn palace. <laughs> you ever see those? All right, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about something that would be, as we would say in Hawaii, it's a sense of place, a place where you see, where you feel two things safe, insecure. All right, now let's leave that and go to number three. And that is another benefit is that we can more adequately give for the furtherance of the kingdom or the gospel so that God has given us, not only to take care of our needs, it's not a center thing, it's also for others. Let me go off on a sidebar. If I was an attorney, I'd say I need to say this on a sidebar, a parenthesis. Do you mind? Give, give me a moment to say this. I've been meditating on something that I've carried for a long time, for probably two decades now. And that's the phrase, you know, what are we here for? What are we here for? Uh, I, I liked it so well. I, I took it and I said, um, "What are you doing for heaven's sake?" You know, you're heaven's sake. What are you doing for heaven's sake? I liked it so well. I got a little piece of paper and I did the best graphics I could, and then I gave it to my wife to decoupage on a scrap paper box, so I'd have all my paper with the scrap papers. And I would read, "What are you doing for heaven's sake?" And then, you know, what's your purpose? You know. And now I'm changing that. I'm not leaving it totally, but I don't want to be driven by what, 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 because when I do the what, 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 it seems like it's all about acting, duty, responsibilities, um, tasks. And I roll in that direction, folks. I'm a task guy, those of you who know me. And here's where I'm changing it. Who are you doing this for today? Who are you doing this? for? And Not what my purpose is. Whose purpose am I doing this and the first thing is the glory of the Lord. Everything I want to do, if it's a task, what the purpose is, but who is it for? It's for the Lord. And then for my wife. And then for others. So as I make decisions here at this church, and I try to do it in a, in a corporate setting with counselors and advisors and all of this, but sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. You, you've been there, you know what I'm trying to say? And uh, sometimes I pull the trigger faster than I get the advice from. But I, I, I get that. But a lot of it is task-oriented. And I want to slow down and be more driven Who am I doing this for? Am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for the Lord? Am I doing it for you? So it's not the what that I'm doing. Now, why, why am I saying that? So that when I do my kingdom giving, I want to make sure that it's done in a relational way rather than just an obligatory check I drop in the plate on Sundays. You got that? All right. It's because I want to think about where this is going to go to bring glory to the Lord. When I take care of the basic needs of my family, what are their basic needs? Why do they have that basic need? And watch this now. By having that basic need met, what will that free them to be able to do and not have to worry about it? so they can do things for the Lord? So I, I'm using this as a way to perhaps motivate me a little bit better. Well, now we talked about <clears throat> the last time we were together was, was how to get money. Remember that? You know this is table. Those of you who are our guests today are wondering, what in the world? How long is he going to speak? You know, it, all these water bottles up here, these cups here full of water. What, what's he, no, no. Let this cup represent your bank account, your wallet, your purse, your investment portfolio. So this is where you put all this stuff. This little picture, those of you that are listening and can't see this, I have a, a picture just full of water. And that water is going to represent all the, the money, the resources that we have. Now, that will go into this cup. Now, there's different ways to do that. We learn that it's by you know creative resourcefulness, uh, diligence in how we work, uh, prayers, God supernaturally given to us at times, but unexpectedly, etc. So we're going to show that this is going to come in. And I don't know, how many of you got a paycheck of some kind in the last four weeks? Would you raise your hand? Well, there you go. You had God in His own way honoring you, whether you're old because it's Social Security and you paid your dues or <laughs> whether you're uh, still working. Well, today I want to move past when God has given to us. I want to talk about How do we guard our money so that when we're putting money in, we don't really have a problem? I don't know if you can see this in the back, but I've got a big problem here. So what I really want to do is I want to show you not about how bad your problem is. What I'd like to do is to show you how to plug that hole. So we're going to talk about how to guard your money. not how to get that. We went through a biblical teaching last week. Now we're going to talk about, okay, I got holes. You got holes. All God's children have holes. But we're we're going to now learn how to plug those holes today. It's not a long message, but I think it could be very, very practical for you, especially for those of you that are recognizing that maybe my problem isn't getting more money. Maybe my problem is, is that I have not plugged the holes. And maybe, let's take it a step further, you don't even realize that these are holes that need to be plugged. Did you catch that part? And so I'd like to kind of lay out what I believe the Bible teaches. And basically, these are the principles that Carol and I have followed. We haven't followed them perfectly But we do have a game plan, and it's a biblical game plan, and I wanted to share it with you. So let's go quickly with this. How do we guard our money? Number one, pay bills promptly. Now, that doesn't take rocket science, does it? Pay bills promptly. Let me read the passage of Scripture here. It says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Alright, if someone loaned me money or if I borrowed this or I put it on the card, they did something good. They allowed me to get something sooner than I had to be, had time to pay for it. Alright, so they did something good. Then it says, don't say to your neighbor, go and come back again and tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it by yourself today. The main idea is when you have a bill, you have a responsibility to pay it as often as you can, pay it back as promptly as you can. Now, on a more practical level, you and I both know that most times when we borrow money, not a hammer from your neighbor or a cup of sugar from the lady across the street, we're talking about actual things that you paid, that you bought, that you owe them back, most of it comes where you have to pay them with interest. Do you all understand that? All right? So when you're paying for that object, whatever that is, often it's more than what you're paying for. You're paying for that plus the interest. Now, some of you have learned how to beat the system. You use your cards, but within 28 days, you pay it all back so you have your reward miles. How many of you do that? All right, see, we've got a bunch of you out there. Okay, you can go home now. You've got the message, right? I'm just joking. Nobody leaves. So back over here. So you have to pay more. And then I got thinking, what about the Lord? I owe him a debt. Remember, we talked about that. I've sinned. There's a debt I owe to the Lord. I can never pay that debt. No matter how good I am, I have, I have, I've got a penalty. And Jesus, he says, you know what? When I go to the cross, I love this. When he went to the cross, he paid for all my sin, didn't he? And the other thing is that he did it completely, all of it, and he did it promptly. He didn't pay for it and then dribble it out through the rest of his life. He said, you know what? I paid for it right then. You have the debt. I'm stepping in. I'm paying the whole thing off right then. Bing, bang, boom, it's over. And so if I would like to be more like Christ, then should I have um, a debt? I want to pay it off as quickly as I can. And so maybe what you might do is begin saying, I need to pay my debts. Now, I don't want to get too too overly practical because we will be offering a small group, a connection group study, so you have a lot of time to discuss and get to, to more of the nuances. But for a practical reason, for those of you that want to get out of debt, you've got maybe four or five different debtors that you have to pay, and there's different interests for each one. My suggestion would be pay off the one that has the highest interest first, even if they're accumulating here. Pay that off first. Soon as that's paid off, All that means you put more money on the next one, more on the next one, more on the next one, more on the next one, one, so then you can get out of debt. Pay your debts as fast as you can. Larry Burkett, a good friend of Carol's and mine, he's in heaven now. We were part of his ministry before he ever started his uh, Christian financial concepts. He would teach that if you have a, a, a home loan on your house, if you manage your money biblically, and you are hard on yourself in the sense don't supersize your drinks don't get cable tv you know you cut all that stuff out but still have a life that you can still function and dress nice go to church still give he said you could pay off your house within seven years can you imagine how much interest you would save if you just paid off your house in seven years that's why other gurus are saying it now i know there's a lot about algorithms and i've studied it That sometimes if you have a little bit of loan here and you got this over here more investment making more off of this than that you know you want to play the numbers All I'm saying is just be careful when you're still in debt and try to get out of debt as soon as you can. I think that's a biblical principle, or at least worthy to aspire. All right, number two, you want to build sales resistance. I'm not sure I like this verse. It's not as clear as it is and probably says a little bit more of other things. But the one thing we do is we want to build sales resistance. And I have to tell you that uh, I find it very difficult. We live in a very, very, um, how can I say... Madison Avenue culture, do we not? I mean, you can't even go on Yahoo and they've got banners flying everywhere. You know, they're, they're everywhere. They want you to buy this. And generally how they do this is trying to make you feel that what you have isn't good enough. And you need to have something else. So they're appealing to either your inadequacies, your... um. Uh, low self-esteem or you don't want to be less than others and certainly want to do this for your kids because they're going to have all of that. So whatever it's out there, it's to make us say what we have isn't good, isn't good enough. We're less because we don't have it. So we need more out there. And it sounds very good until we take it through the grid of scripture and our own heart is it a basic need of life that we really, really need and generally that it's not. So I would suggest you to build sales resistance, uh, telemarketers, you ever had a telemarketer call you? I don't mean the Robo kinds, I mean the real live person now you have to understand, um I teach this stuff, taught it for years. I live this stuff, but I struggle with telemarketers. I really do now you're probably saying, I bet he does. He just wants to you know no I'm a pastor remember I, I I have a heart when a telemarketer calls, I will tell you it goes through my heart. This poor guy needs a job, and this is how he makes money to provide for his family, and oh this boy he he's just trying to make. You know, honest days living for a job. You yeah, know, and my wife is. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And, and my wife is the sweet one in our family. I'm the bad cop. She's the good cop. And so you run, Carol. She's the sweetest thing. You talk to her for about an hour, and you have diabetes. Okay? She says that's sweet. But when a telemarketer calls, <clears throat> there's another side of Carol. Now she's very sweet. When that person calls, she doesn't say no. And hang up. She'll say, no, thank you, and then hang up. All right. <laughs> and to this day we're out of debt. Right? So um, you telemarketers that are listening to me, don't try to get a hold of me, all right? The other would be to watch out for timeshares. There's always the value, and you gotta run it through the whole economic plan of your family and your future and what it is and how you're gonna use it, but be careful of these things. So the idea is just build sales resistance. Learn to say no. In fact, what would be a lot of fun for you to do is to you and your family, if you have a particular need, something you like, why don't you just say, We're not going to get it yet, but why don't we ask God to bring it to us if He wants us to have this? And be real quiet and watch the Lord bring it into your life. See if something happens or that that item goes down in price. All right, number three save it versus hoard it. Save it versus hoard it. You know what hoarding is. I'm sure you've seen some of these TV shows. You wonder. How these people can actually exist, what they do. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. And I really believe that. It's not because they're rich. You know, rich people can have a lot of money, but if it goes out very quickly, they're very poor. So again, they manage it. They have it in the dwelling of the the wise because they kept it, they didn't spend it. So their treasure is with them. Then it says, But a foolish man swallows it up. And of course, you know what happens when you eat something. And I'll stop there. Let's go on. Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. I love this. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Let's stop and look up here for just a moment, if you can. It seems like it's just this verse taken out of another context and slapped into this little context of Scripture. And it's kind of cool that it's there, because we really love that verse. You know, blessed is the man, you know, follows his commandments. You know, amen, glory to God, hallelujah. All right, but if you realize... There's a very important truth there. God's Word is to be obeyed no matter the cost. And there's always a a byproduct of obeying Him. You know, the inner joy, He gets the glory. I get all of that. But there's a lot of other stuff that comes along when we obey His Word in every part of His Word. We don't cherry-pick His Word or do the easy things. things we We, we We do the whole Word at that particular time. We get all of that. But now, where is this passage of Scripture in? It's in a context that actually deals with wealth and money. So when you hear me on Sunday speaking so much on this money thing, some of you say, "I'm up to here with all of that stuff. When is he going to get off that broken thing, you know, and get onto something else?" Well, I will. Don't don't worry. I'll get there. But at the same time, though, your pastors, your preachers, they have to teach you this. This is such a key part of our life. And so then we'll go on to the next part of the verse. It says, "This wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever." How precious that is when you save it, when you have it there. Now, you're saying, what do you mean about the hoarding part? Can't you move over from the saving to the hoarding? The answer is, is, is in this. I, I'm not a psychologist and all of that. I can only best imagine that the people who do hoard, a lot of times they do that is because they feel like I need this, what happens if I have a need and I don't have what this is? So I need to have it now for a future need. So they're grabbing more. Maybe, maybe this will be gone. Maybe that will be gone. And they, 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 they keep all of this stuff because they don't want to have a horrible life later on if they didn't have it. So they want to accumulate as much as they have because they have the fear of not having it when they need it now or fear of not having it in the future. That's generally the case of a hoarder. And there's probably a lot of other psychological things that are, are kind of blown up in their mind, but basically it's that. Now, let's take it to a Christian level now. The Christian level would be more like this. You know, I got to have all of this because I'll need it for the future, and there's always that the case, and I, I need to have it now because later on it won't be here it's on sale and I'll need it now. And so we're okay with that as long as within all of that, and here's where it takes deep honesty, self-awareness. Am I doing all of this because I have forgotten that God can provide for me just as much in the future as he can right now? Am I, have I, am I fearing the future instead of having faith in the God of the future. Now, did you catch all of that? Now, watch what I'm going to do now, if you can see this. I have a balance up here. Everything has got to be in balance in Scripture. You can't take just one verse without properly. We call this systematic theology. You have all the doctrines, but then you have to have the doctrines to connect with one another. So yes, you do have to take care of the future, but make sure that nowhere within you is the fear that God won't take care of you in the future. That's one side of it. The other side of it is, are those who are saying, just let go, let God, don't worry about it, God will take care of it, spend all my money now, i got a car payment at the end of the month, somehow he'll get it to us. You can't do that, you've got to save for that as well. So the bottom line is, your heart again, that's what I'm preaching so much on, is your heart, is your heart and this deceitful above all things, and that's why you've got to meditate in Scripture. Listen to this stuff, read it through, own it in your heart. So that when you're confronted with this, you will say for the rainy day that it talks about, it talks about the ant, go to the ant, you sluggards. how he collects all of this stuff, all right? got to see all of that. But he's not hoarding it because he fears. He's doing that because that's what ants do. Christians do it so they are prepared for hurricanes and things like that, but not so much because God won't be there. He will be there when you can't do the things that are right. And that's why this verse says there's wealth in the dwellings of those that have money. Okay, they might not always show it, but it's there. Let's go to number four. The fourth, you want to avoid co-signing, all right? Avoid co-signing. I want to share with you a, I want to share with you a, a heartache of a family that I'm aware of. Um, the son wanted to buy a car, so he went to the father and said, I really can't afford it. I got this much money, and this is the car I'd like to get, and I don't have that money, but dad, would you co-sign for that car? And the dad wisely said, you know, I would love to do this for you, son, and I'll do everything I can to help you get that car. But right now, I can't co-sign for you because for me and my conscience, I just, I just can't do that. I, I, I just don't think it's biblical for me to co-sign for that car. Well, that was the end of that discussion. The relationship wasn't broken, but the son was not a wise son. The son decided to go to another family member, as they often do.